Generation Church, based in the beautiful Rex Theater in the heart of downtown Pensacola, Florida. Our hope is that today's teaching will encourage and equip you to be firm in faith, to fulfill the call of God in your life, and to finish well. Grab your Bible, open up your notes app, and let's dive in. Mark 5, 21-43 And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd, and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. How are y'all doing? You guys look great. It's nice to be here this morning. We are in a series called The Red Letters, which some Bibles use to highlight the words of Jesus. And our desire in this series is to look at the things that Jesus said, his teachings and his interactions during his ministry, so that we can come to discover Jesus in a deeper way. I've recently finished reading a book by Andrew Murray called The Ministry of Intercession. And in it, he has this fantastic statement concerning the words of Jesus. He says, Christ, the living word of God, gives in his words a divine quickening power which bring what they say, which works in us what he asks, which actually fits and enables for all he demands. 
learn to look upon his teaching as a definite promise of what he, by his Holy Spirit dwelling in you, is going to work into your very being and character. So the words of Jesus, the red letters, they work in us by his Spirit to enable us to do the things he calls us to. Things like we've discussed so far in this series, like fasting and prayer, sanctification and unity. And as we'll see this morning, we're going to look at the importance of having a touch of faith. So let's pray and dive in. Lord God, we thank you for this opportunity to meet together. We're excited to hear the words of Jesus and see how they apply to our lives today. I ask God that these words, the red letters of Jesus, would go deep into our hearts and spirits so that we could be changed in his image. I pray, God, that you would speak through me mightily and that your word would be received well by all those who hear it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning we're in the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Mark, which was written primarily to a Gentile Roman audience. And the goal he had was convincing them and us that Jesus is the Son of God. And so throughout Mark's Gospel, he's urging us to ask this question, who is this Jesus? We see in chapters 3 through 5 that Jesus is one with power. His power to heal caused people everywhere he went to crowd around him, to press in on him, hoping to be healed themselves, or hoping to see more miracles that he was performing. Mark also shows Jesus' power as he calms a a storm, and his power is on full display as he casts out demons. So Mark is highlighting Jesus' power in his gospel over things like danger and demons, over things like disease and death, which we'll talk about today. But Mark isn't only highlighting Jesus' power in his gospel. I think in our text today, while yes, Jesus' power is on full display, Mark is pointing out and highlighting the need for faith. So today's big idea is this. The mark of a disciple is a faith that believes despite the circumstances of life. Not only is it necessary to have faith, but we need to have a faith that keeps on believing when the times get tough or while we're waiting for our prayers to be answered. It's a faith that needs to keep on believing when we desperately need to feel God's presence and peace. And so we'll unpack this big idea this morning as we look at the ruler's plea and the woman's plight. But first, I want to tell you guys about something that scholars call a Markin sandwich. Now, I know it's borderline sinful to talk about food in church, but please bear with me here. This is a technique that's unique to Mark, and it's where he introduces two situations with one interrupting the other. The technical term is called intercalation. And so we see in this account the top piece of bread, which is Jairus' request on behalf of his dying daughter, and then it's interrupted by the woman's plight. This is like all your favorite toppings on a sandwich, right? All the fixins. That's the woman with the issue of blood. And then the bottom piece of bread is the continuation of Jesus going to heal the daughter. Why is this important? It's important for us to understand what Mark is trying to convey about Jesus' teaching here. The meat, so to speak, is the theological key for understanding the passage as a whole, the need for a touch of faith. And so as we unpack these accounts this morning, I want you to be on the lookout for breadcrumbs that you see Mark has planted that ties these two stories 
together. Details like the woman having an, uh, 12 years of agony while Jairus was about to lose the 12-year-old joy of his life. Jairus was an important, wealthy man, but we don't even know the poor woman's name. Jesus responded to the woman immediately, but there was a delay in Jairus's request. Jairus came to Jesus publicly, and the woman came secretly, while Jairus' daughter was healed secretly, and the woman was healed publicly. And there are so many more of these details crafted into Mark's sandwich. So the next time you're reading the Gospel of Mark, do yourself a favor and search where these sandwiches are so that you can get a better understanding of what Mark is trying to teach us about Jesus. And so this morning, we finally come to the ruler's plea, which starts in verse 22. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And so as was usual, a great crowd had come around Jesus, but Jairus somehow was, made, was able to make his way to Jesus. It's likely because of his position that he was able to do that. We're told that he was a ruler in the synagogue. He had expertise, status, and wealth. And because he was in this position of authority and had certain uh, control over aspects of the synagogue, it was likely that he was there when Jesus was in the synagogue healing the man with the withered hand. And so maybe, just maybe, Jesus could help his daughter too. But at this time, the religious leaders were already plotting to destroy Jesus. So you have to imagine the great cost it would be for him to seek Jesus out. People would see him with Jesus, and he had a reputation to uphold. It could cost him his job and his position, maybe even cut off his access to the synagogue entirely. His friends and family that he loved and respected may no longer love or respect him. But Jairus came pleading to Jesus. You could say he came begging Jesus. He fell at his feet. Jesus intervened. He came humbly with courageous faith and fell at the feet of Jesus. And he said, my daughter is breathing her last. Jesus, just come lay your hands on her and she'll live. Jairus was desperate and Jesus was the only one that could help. With his status and wealth, you can imagine that he probably tried to seek out all forms of healing, but Jesus was the only one, his last hope. Now, Jesus didn't say to him, well, Jairus, you know, you should have believed in me before. Sorry, bud. You know, he didn't say, well, 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 now that you need something, you come to me. Or, you know, I, I would love to help, but first you got to clean yourself up. You know, you got to do this or do that, and then I'll come heal your daughter. No, Verse 24 says, and Jesus went with him. That's one of the most beautiful sentences in all of Scripture. Jesus went with him. Let me tell you something. Jesus responds to the faith that you have. You don't have to do anything except come to him. When you have faith to come to Jesus humbly in the good times or in the midst of your greatest trials and worst of circumstances, he is right by your side. You don't have to wait until you're desperate to come to him. And you don't have to clean yourself up. His call is that you would simply come to him. All it takes is a touch of faith, and Jesus will come alongside you.
So the ruler pleaded with Jesus, and he went with him. But as Jesus was heading to heal Jairus' daughter, he's interrupted by the woman's plight. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. The woman had a physical ailment that was the ruin of her entire life. And it didn't just affect her physically. In her culture, her condition would have made her unclean. And so in addition to the physical pain that it caused her, it came with social and religious suffering as well. Because of her issue, she couldn't marry. And if she had been married, it would have been legal for her husband to divorce her. Her parents, family, and friends likely disowned her or shunned her. And she wouldn't have been allowed in the synagogue or to even talk with a rabbi. No one could touch her without becoming unclean themselves. She may not have felt a single loving touch in 12 years. Do you see the desperation of her situation? I think Mark really wants us to be empathetic to this woman here. On top of all that, she had been to so many doctors and none of them could heal her. Her condition kept getting worse. Can you imagine? She had no more money and you have to wonder, how could she have any hope left? But she had heard that Jesus was a great healer and here he was within reach. Maybe there is some hope left after all, but there was a huge crowd around him. They were pressing in tight. Maybe she recognized Jairus and thought, man, Jesus is with this great man. He's right there, but he's so busy. Would he even stop for me? But she was desperate, so she came up behind Jesus thinking, just a touch of the hem of his clothes, and I will be healed. So she pushed through the crowd, and she touched Jesus. And immediately, Immediately, the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Instantly, both the woman and Jesus knew what happened. So Jesus stopped and said, Who touched my garments? And as is usual, the disciples were confused, and they said, What do you mean, Jesus? There's this huge crowd. Everybody's pressing around you. What are you talking about? Everybody's touching you, Jesus. Listen, there's a difference between pressing Jesus and touching Jesus. You can come to church every Sunday and you can do all the things that a good Christian does and simply press Jesus. St. Augustine says that flesh presses, faith touches. And Charles Spurgeon said this, It is not every contact with Christ that saves men. It is the arousing of yourself to come near to him, the determinate, the personal, resolute, believing touch of Jesus Christ which saves. It wasn't a simple touch, and it wasn't his clothes. It wasn't just anyone that touched Jesus. It was a touch of faith from a certain person. This is the kind of faith that Jesus wants from all of us. 
humble faith, courageous faith, wholehearted, desperate faith. Both the ruler and the woman came to Jesus with a touch of faith, and they fell at his feet. Jairus came pleading and begging, and the woman came in fear and trembling, and she told him the whole truth. Listen, Jesus is not too busy to hear your prayers, and Jesus is not too busy to answer them. He wants to go with you like he went with Jairus, and he wants to stop and know you just like with the woman. Just come to Jesus as you are and touch him in faith, believing that he is the solution to the circumstances of life. Now, Jesus didn't just call out the woman so that her dirty laundry would be hanging up for all to see, right? No, he wanted to stop and elicit a testimony from her. And he did this for at least four amazing reasons. First, and this is the first blank on your outline, Jesus wanted a relationship with her. If her parents had disowned her, imagine how precious it would have been to hear Jesus call her daughter. Do you see the care and compassion of Jesus with how he interacted with this woman? In the same way, Jesus wants a relationship with you. He cares about you and your circumstances. He loves you. He wants a relationship with you. If you have put your faith in Jesus, he calls you daughter. He calls you son. We don't have to come anymore in fear and trembling. Instead, we can come to the feet of Jesus in amazement and worship as children of God. And so next, Jesus wanted to assure her. He wanted her to know why she was healed. It wasn't his clothes. It was her faith. He said, your faith has made you well. The power of Jesus healed her through a touch of faith. But don't we know that Jesus does so much more than heal? Jesus also saves. His conversation with the woman suggests more than physical healing. She came in search of a cure, but she found a friend. And I believe that in this moment, she came to know Jesus as her Savior. So if you have touched Jesus in faith, he wants to assure you today that you too will be made well. He wants to assure you that he is with you, that he provides for you, that he hears you, and that he loves you. Next, Jesus wanted to bless her. He told her, go in peace. This was the first peace she'd had in 12 years. Can you imagine that? She came in fear and trembling, but she didn't have to go in misery or pain. She got to leave his presence in peace. Her testimony here is a beautiful picture of prayer and confession. We are already forgiven in Christ, but when we come to his feet with our uncleanness, even if we touch just the hem of his robe in faith, he cleanses us of our sin and shame, and we leave his presence with the peace that only he can give. And so now the account sort of shifts back to Jairus. And we could see that he, he could already believe the difficult healing for his dying daughter, but could he believe the impossible? As Jesus was speaking to the woman, people came saying, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Can you imagine what's running through Jairus' mind? She's dead! She's dead! My daughter, 
There's no hope. What can be done now? Why do we have to stop for that woman? Jairus, hearing the news, had perhaps lost all hope as his worst fear was now a reality. But Jesus wanted to encourage him. He wanted to encourage him. Do not fear, only believe. Jesus is saying to him, stop fearing, keep on believing. You had faith to come to me, and you saw what faith did for the woman. Don't lose hope, trust me. Jairus saw the woman healed, and he heard her testimony. And so Jesus is encouraging Jairus to disregard the news of his friends and to focus on him instead, to look at what he has already done. And so as disciples of Christ, we have to have a faith that believes despite the circumstances. We need to remember what God has done in his word, what God has already done for us, and let what God has done for others build and encourage our faith. And so as we consider these words of Jesus to the ruler and to the woman, we see that the red letters make all the difference. The words of Jesus make a difference if we would just listen and respond with a touch of faith. So first, let's hear Jesus' message of faith. Again, he said to the woman, your faith has made you well. It's our voluntary act of faith that connects us to the blessings of God in Christ Jesus. But faith isn't valuable in and of itself, and it's not valuable because of the person expressing it, right? Faith's value and power comes from the object of faith, Jesus. Our faith is like an electric conductor that connects us to the power of Jesus. You may have been wondering what this extension cord is doing up here. I usually shy away from illustrations because I, I always feel like I butcher them a little bit. Um, but I'm a pastor by calling, but by profession, I'm an IT administrator. And I remember many, many, many years ago, I received a phone call from a customer who had moved her computer from one office to another, and now the thing wouldn't power on. So after about 10 minutes on the phone with her with this sort of, uh, are you sure it's definitely plugged in kind of questions, you know, it became clear that I needed to actually visit her office, which for most IT administrators is something you don't want to do. You want to fix everything on the phone. But I get there and press the power button on the computer, and she's right, it's not turning on. So I look in the back, make sure the power cord's plugged in, and it is. So I trace it down to an extension cord sitting on her desk that it's plugged into. I say, okay, well, it's plugged in. Let me check the extension cord. So I start following it down, and of course, it's crammed down the back of the desk. You can't move it up or down. Any, it doesn't work. So I have to crawl underneath the desk where it's dark and dirty, and I see the quintessential rat's nest of cables that are underneath the desk. They're everywhere in IT. I think there was string and twine and ribbon in there too. Maybe a snake. I, I can't be sure. And finally, I, I get through the rat's nest, and I see that the cable is coming back up. So I say, okay, let me go back to the top side. And wouldn't you know it, it's plugged into itself. No wonder it doesn't work. Aren't we all like that, though, sometimes? We're, we're in these circumstances that are beating us up, and instead of plugging into the power source that, that we know, we're plugged into ourselves. Or we're plugged in to our friends and family, or we're plugged in to the doctors and their diagnoses. You know, sometimes 
yes, there's action on our part that needs to happen. And yes, of course, friends and family can help out. And yes, doctors can provide effective treatment. But if we're not plugged into the source, the true source of power, Jesus Christ, then we're missing out. Jesus is the only source of power and the only solution to all the circumstances that we face. So whatever our circumstances that we're, that we're in, whether good or bad, be it danger or demons, disease or death, or anything else, we plug in to Jesus. Our faith is the extension cord that connects us to the power of Jesus. And if you're plugged into anything else, now's the time to connect to the true source, Jesus. We also see Jesus' message of faith as a command when he said to Jairus, do not fear, only believe. We need to remember how God has been faithful to us and others and rejoice. And when we push out fear, like Jesus pushed out the faithless mockers at Jairus' house, when we push out fear and we keep on believing, faith in Jesus' power enables us to wait on the Lord knowing that he is never late. You see, because fear and faith, hopelessness and faithfulness, they cannot live together. So Jesus gives us this command, stop fearing and keep on believing. Warren Wearsby says in his Bible commentary, when everything seems to be falling apart around us and even our friends discourage us, we must learn to trust Christ and his promises no matter how we feel, no matter what others say, and no matter how the circumstances may look. All we can do is cling by faith to the promises of God. That word cling, by the way, is another way to translate the word Jesus used when he said, who touched my garments. As disciples, we can have a faith that believes despite the circumstances if we would only cling by faith to Jesus. Listen, 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 listen. The cure for your fears is faith in Jesus. And the cure for hopelessness is the hope that only he can give. Which brings us to the next word of Jesus, Jesus' call for hope. In verse 39, he said, The child is not dead, but sleeping. The ruler's plea was interrupted by the woman's plight, but no time was wasted by Jesus. He wasn't being ironic. He wasn't being mysterious. No, he was going to wake her up. Jesus here is redefining death as sleep. To the believer, this is good news for us, to the believer, death is only sleep. It has no power because Jesus is victorious over it. Because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we have the promise of eternal life that's forever in the presence of God. This alone should give us great hope. Listen carefully. In the delay when you're seeking God with humble, courageous faith, in the waiting where it seems like all hope is lost, God is working on your behalf. God is never slow, even though sometimes he seems slow in our suffering. He's never slow. His timing is perfect. Nothing is wasted. And his love for you is great. There's this old argument against God that goes something like this. If God is all good and he hasn't removed all the sin and suffering and evil from the world, then he can't be all-powerful. 
And if God is all-powerful, but he hasn't removed all the suffering from the world yet, then he isn't all good. Now, as believers, we know that that isn't the truth, but it is a common objection to God. At first glance, it may seem difficult to answer, but that argument can be defeated with one short, simple word. Yet. If we plug yet into all of those objections, then it's answered. God hasn't removed all the sin and evil in the world yet. God hasn't removed the suffering yet. God hasn't delivered you from your addiction yet. Say it with me. Your loved one hasn't believed in Jesus Christ for salvation yet. You haven't found your husband or your wife yet. Your marriage hasn't been restored yet. God hasn't healed your body yet. Whatever your situation, whatever you're praying for, as you seek the Lord in humble, courageous faith, don't lose hope. Don't fear. Keep on believing. Keep the faith despite the circumstances. Believe that God hears you and he will set all things right because this is our ultimate hope. Revelation 21 verse 4 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Isn't that an amazing promise? The yet will happen. We just have to keep on believing. So we see Jesus' message of faith, his call for hope. Now let's hear Jesus' words of love and power. Taking the girl by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. We've already seen the care and compassion that Jesus had towards the woman when he called her daughter. And here we have another term of endearment, little girl. A better translation that many scholars offer is lamb. She was like a precious lamb to Jesus, just like each of you are precious in his sight. We have a wonderful Savior who delights in being our friend. We have a good, good Father who sent his Son because he so loved us. He sent his Son to restore us to himself. And we have the Holy Spirit as a comforter and healer. We see the love of God in all of those. Jesus also said to her, Arise! And the girl experienced instant, complete healing at the powerful word of Jesus. You see, Jesus gives his power by the sound of his voice. In a word, he demonstrated his power over disease and death. She got up and began walking. She was raised from the dead and healed of the sickness that caused it. In Romans 4 17 tells us that God gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. It's the words of Jesus, the red letters that make all the difference for us. His words enable us by his spirit to walk by faith and not by sight. What Jesus is doing here is he's teaching us that circumstances shouldn't dictate how we live our lives. Instead, we need to let a touch of faith connect us to the power of Jesus so that he can see us through the worst things that come our way. The mark of a disciple is a faith that believes despite the circumstances of life. 
And so as I call the band up, there's one last thing that I want to point out concerning these two accounts in Mark's gospel. They prefigure the passion of Jesus, his suffering, by highlighting disease that leads to death and death itself. You see, the bleeding of the woman and the death of the girl are things that are common to all of us, and they even affected Jesus as he walked the earth. Blood and death. And as the message in Mark's gospel progresses, Jesus will bleed much blood and he will die on our behalf. His love for us and his power over death is at the heart of the gospel message. He bled and died to cleanse us of our sins, to purchase healing in our bodies, and to grant us eternal life in his presence. Sir James Simpson, a physician and one of the pioneers of anesthesia, he was on his deathbed. A friend, of him, a friend of his wanted to encourage him, saying, Soon you'll be resting in the arms of Jesus. But he replied, I don't know if I can do that, but I think I have a hold of the hem of his garment. You may not have great faith this morning, but do you at least have a hold of the hem of of Jesus' garment? Maybe if you're honest, you're clinging on to something else, or you plugged into some other source of power. Now's the time to plug into the true source. And if you aren't clinging to Jesus, but you want to, the Bible says that it's really simple. All you have to do is confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. That's all it takes. Just a touch of faith. So I want to encourage you this morning to make that proclamation yours. Or, like the woman, you can simply say, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. It just takes a touch of faith. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you again for this opportunity we have to meet with you, to be in your presence, Jesus. We do thank you for coming to this earth, living a perfect life, and dying so that we could be made well. It's a, it's a touch of faith from us. That's all you ask, God. So I pray that all of us this morning, whether we, we've already done that or not, we would return to you again. We would, like Jairus and the woman, we would fall at your feet humbly and courageously, knowing that your word is true. The words that you speak, these red letters, they're true for us today. They're as true as they've ever been. We thank you for them, Jesus. I pray, God, that you would seal these words by your Holy Spirit that you would shape us into the form of your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for hanging out with us at Generation. You can connect with us on Facebook or Instagram at Generation Pensacola or go to the website at generationpensacola.com and from wherever you download your podcasts. If today's teaching impacted you, we'd love to hear about it. So please drop us a note.